Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we speak with business owners and entrepreneurs from around the world and from all walks of life in the hope that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. We're your co-hosts, Vicky and Laura from Two for One Branding, supporting entrepreneurs as they launch their new business or product. We love doing it and we're good at it. And it's important to us that every new business launches well with a sound strategy and brand, giving them the greatest chance of success. We don't want to see any entrepreneur quit. If you love this show, please help us out and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching on now, and you will be notified of the next great episode. Today, we're talking to Zachary Layden, whose entrepreneurial journey took him from military service to starting a thriving horse recreation business and it's making a difference in people's lives. He's designed a program called Leadership Through Horsemanship for corporations, military organizations, veterans, and at-risk youth. Today, we're gonna hear all about the parallels of horsemanship and leadership. Welcome, Zach, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'll probably reveal a few things about my childhood experiences growing up with horses and how much I love that. And so I'm really looking forward to how you have turned that into a business. Certainly, we know that having a horse and growing up around horses, they're very expensive animals, but they're also quite magical. So really looking forward to this conversation. But first, before we get too deep into all of that, uh, let's go back in time a little bit and tell us about your childhood. Were you a bit of an entrepreneurial kid? How did you grow up and how's that? sort of developed you into who you are now? Yeah, I think I was pretty entrepreneurial uh, minded from the start. I uh, had a paper route when I was younger. Uh, I'd go to Denials, which is like a a trade market in the town I was in and uh, would get odd jobs from different places within that uh, farmer's market. And um, I ended up working for like three different places at the same time. strategically, I guess. I I was really young at the time. Um, And then when I was in high school, I met a girl that uh, had horses and I liked the girl. So obviously I liked the horses and I ended up liking the horses more than uh, the girl over time. And yeah, so uh, it it didn't start off with entrepreneurship. I joined the military, uh, cowboy on the weekends and did my my stretch in the military in a special operations unit. Uh, got out, got back from Afghanistan, went into the real world, went to school, uh, and and horses uh, won that venture too. They they brought me back, made me feel whole again, and so I jumped in with both feet and created a business and uh, around horses. I want to talk more about the link between going from military experience into horses and how you just said they brought you back. Can you tell us a little bit more about that because I think that's a really important topic. Yeah. So when you get out of the military, something that uh, is, I think they're working on it as the transitional process is getting better now. But when I got out, uh, I came back to the real world uh, with a GI Bill. Your thought is use that GI Bill, go to school, and and you're now part of the real world. What's hard to transition in with is that you had a job, a purpose, a team, and, and it was you had a strong sense of of being at the time when you're in the military. Everybody is moving towards the same goal. You feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And then when you get out, uh, you have none of that. The support system goes away. And now you're just there able to sit on all of the things that 
that didn't go well. And um, that hit real hard for me. And so I had enough time to think of the people I lost overseas. I had enough time to think about the things that I was doing and, um, and it hit me hard. And somebody who, he was a Vietnam vet who, who tipped horses, who see, uh, trained Mustangs. And, um, he saw that I was in a bad place and he asked if I could help him knowing that I had a background with horses. I, I think if I could talk to him now, I would ask, but I think that he knew that I had a you know problem. He knew the horses could help heal it. So I went and spent time with him and I ended up spending more time with him than anything else. All my free time was with him and the horses and and uh, I decided like, okay, if there's a way to make money with horses, I might as well try now. I've got nothing to lose. I've got no team that relies on me. I, I have no leadership position. Might as well just try. And, uh, and I did it and I made something of it. What a beautiful story that is born from your own personal experience of healing. And now you're sharing that gift with others who are in a similar situation. So tell us about the money-making side of it. What is this leadership program that you've developed and how does it help people? So you were talking about the leadership through horsemanship. That's just one small project uh, that's a part of our, our facility here. You know, since I got out of the military, I've developed now four horse facilities. This is uh, Ocean View Stables in San Francisco. It's a few minutes away from the San Francisco Zoo, right on the coast. Um, at this facility, we veterans ride for free. You can do trail rides down to the beach. There's lesson programs here. There's a boarding facility. We're putting pods in the back so you can stay overnight. We're kind of building a tiny guest ranch in San Francisco. So that's like the big picture of what we have here. One of the, the aspects that we have is leadership through horsemanship. And so this program is um, more of it's selling on a B2B level. So we are having businesses reaching out to HR, having them come in for team building exercises or corporate retreat type things. And we're teaching them how sensitive horses are and how they speak through body language and how very little pressure and release of pressure goes a long way and how a 1200 pound animal can react to your subtlest moves. And some of the things that I do is I put them in the round pin with uh, the horses after showing them what can be done and show them how they can get a lot more out of this horse through very subtle cues if they can connect with them appropriately. By the end of this little process, the horse is walking, following them around like a puppy dog with proper pressure and release of pressure. And the idea of this exercise is you can get a lot done with very little that you need to really think about what your body's doing and, and how you're saying what you're saying. And I guess the big thing is it's not what you say, but how you say it. You're bringing immediately back such great memories of my childhood, being able to grow up with horses surrounding me and my grandparents had horses and I had my own horse for a while that I rode um, before he passed away when I was in my mid teens and I don't think people do fully understand how much of what you're saying is true and that horses are so magical and so incredible and so intuitive and sensitive to humans. The connection is just one of those beautiful things you have to experience. And I love how you've connected it with leadership because I think, again, that's something people wouldn't necessarily think of, but what an incredible idea for a retreat for a team to just really connect and to have that experience. How can people do that? Like you have four different stables you said that people can, are they all the same? Tell, tell us more about the business and, and how people can get involved. Yeah, so so we have one facility now, but I've stood up three or four now. 
Uh, so we have Ocean View Staples. You can go to oceanviewstaples.com. We're located just a few minutes from the San Francisco Zoo. Uh, you can book a ride online, uh, lesson online, or if you want to do our leadership course, you could do that online as well. The other facilities, what happened was when I was starting the first one, I was looking at how I can connect what I did in the military with my passion for horses. So I was thinking, what are the skill sets that I learned while in the military? And what came out of it was I have a strong sense of uh, navigation. So land navigation was something I learned and I was good at. Well, land navigation, I know how to hunt and I know how to work with horses. So I put those together and I did pack trips for hunters. And so I packed people in for hunting trips and that was the start. And then I turned that from pack trips for hunting into luxury pack trips. And then from luxury pack trips, we went to uh, kids camps. This is when my wife came in. So she was at the time, uh, my girlfriend, she's an amazing horse person in her own right. Uh, she's a performance girl. And I brought her into my world and she kind of said, okay, wait a minute, we're going to change some things. And she took me from being this rugged cowboy style to more of a refined business. And we moved into um, getting uh, wilderness kids camps going on the land that I was already working for uh, or leasing for um, the pack trips. Uh, that was a change in our trajectory. We, we we were a bit more successful. You can charge a little bit more and get a lot more people involved. And then from there, she was actually the reason that I moved on to the next spot. She wanted to be closer to her family, which lived in Sacramento. So I went to Sacramento and I researched and did a market analysis on every dilapidated property within like a 50 mile radius of her family's house. And I put together a business plan for every single one of them on how they could be more profitable as a horse facility. And then I started going to them, pitching them the idea and saying, listen, you can have this business plan. It's 100% yours. You can, you can take it. This is how you can make more money. But the thing is, I don't know if you're going to be able to execute. I know I can. So if you hire me and my team to come in and my horses to come in, I can make this a more profitable business. You'll get a percentage of what I do. And I believe that even with this percentage, you're going to do better off than what you're doing now. And I only had to pitch it to two different places before the second one took us in uh, and we signed a contract. And later on, I ended up taking that entire facility. It was a 350-acre facility owned by uh, Sacramento County. And I, uh, after a couple of years being a subcontract, I ended up getting the entire RFP, um, the, the whole contract, uh, getting her closer to her family. <laughs> that is true entrepreneurial spirit, Zach. <laughs> so whether you were an entrepreneur as a kid, you certainly are now. That is a remarkable way to, and, and obviously very, very grounded in business. So you've allowed your passion to blend with true business skills. I think uh, our audience could learn from this. Can we talk a little bit about your launch period? So there's been a lot of transition in what you've talked about there. What's your main takeaway from when you were launching each of these things? You had an idea, you knew you wanted to try it on in the market. What would you say your biggest lesson or takeaway was from that period? Well, each time that I've done this, so we can talk about from military to first business, or we talk from first business to to first successful business, that's getting the ranch in Sacramento, or the from Sacramento to the winery horse ranch or the winery horse ranch to San Francisco. Each one of these has a completely different thought process and structure to them. The first one, it was super cowboy. So like, like the way that I went about that obviously isn't the way I went about it every other time. So 
I don't know which one you would like me to, to speak on. <laughs> well, um, now that you've been through those and you have the experience of all of them, if you had to do it again, which way would you go? What would you do for a launch? Obviously, I'm doing it the way I'm doing it now because the way I'm doing it now is great. It's working and, and I've structured systems to make it so that I can do this over and over again. However, the whole entrepreneurship thing is about the journey. And if I couldn't do it the way I did it from the beginning, I don't know if it'd be as fun as it was. It's like secondary fun, like awful while I was doing it. But looking back on it, I was like, man, that was so cool that I went through that. What I'll do is I'll tell you a little bit about the hardship of getting going in one of the hardest industries to make money in. So starting off, I was came out of the military. I was going to school, college, and, and then I decided I was going to do this journey in the, the horsemanship world. So I had a couple horses. I was strategic on what I was doing to, to feed them. I, I had a bit of knowledge on, on the horse world, but I didn't have a lot. So my first step was gathering intelligence. So I went to facilities that were running well that I wanted to learn from. And I knocked on the door and said, hey, listen, I'm a hard worker. You won't find one harder than me. And I'm willing to work for free. So that's a better price than, than the next guy, I'm sure. So I would come in and, and I would work hard. And, and then after basically proving myself as an asset for a couple of months, I'd be like, so I'm going to stop working now unless you're willing to teach me. <laughs> so here's the trade-off. I'm no longer free. I'm, I'm, I, I cost something. The cost is you need to take me along with you and show me how you're doing what you do. Uh, and then I'll keep working. So uh, and you know, these were 16-hour days, half of them working, following the, the owner and him showing me what's going on. And then the other half, working the, the the awful job, the hard jobs in the industry that I wanted to learn. So obviously I needed to learn these jobs as well. Fixing plumbing, fixing fencing, uh, working the horses, all of the, the, the aspects, again, for free. And the, one of the trade-offs that I had for free was I was also living on these ranches. So, you know, it wasn't exactly free. Uh, after about a year of learning everything that I needed to learn with them, and I was traveling, uh, following Buck Brandeman around. He's one of my my favorite uh, horse trainers. And so I would go to all of his clinics that I can get into, fly out and check him out along with other clinicians, and then work with this guy for free. After about a year, I think I had enough information to know how I can get good deals on hay, get all the right contracts that I needed, how he was getting contracts for his kids' camps and how he's getting contracts for his other uh, operations. I also found out strategic ways to to have horses and have land for free. Um, and so these were things that I gathered from here, which were great. I used a lot of them, uh, threw away a lot of ideas that he had that I didn't like. But anyway, I took that and started getting my first small contracts. Big contract I got is something that I could never replicate ever again, because it was just uh, chaos. And um, the the moral of this story, though, is sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. So the the next step was we were doing uh, kids camps, and we wanted to do kids camps. So I was cold calling every kids wilderness program that's out there that have like kayak and uh, hiking. And some of them had horse programs. And then I called them and said, Hey, I have this great piece of land. Uh, it's out here in, in this area. And I have this beautiful program put together. And, and I called and called and called. And one of them came back and said, okay, great. I want to put 12 kids on um, trail or on a, your wilderness pack trip for five days each. We'll put two um, counselors on it with you. So that's 14. And we want to do it 10 in the, the summer. And that was huge for me. I was like, yes, okay, we win. Except I had four horses. 
<laughs> so the math so doesn't I, work. <laughs> so I'm on the phone and I'm like, absolutely, I can do that. Just uh, we need a half down deposit, of course. That's normal. And they said yes. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So now we have the money to get the horses. So then I called my my wife, girlfriend at the time. I'm like, hey, so uh, we need to go find uh, 10 horses, uh, 12 horses, and we need to train them up. And we have uh, a month before our first ride. <laughs> so she's yelling at me, obviously. She's like, you shouldn't have done this. This is crazy. Well, we did it. We got all the horses. We got them all trained up. And we got there. Now, the other awful thing that happened the first time was I hired a guide that was supposed to get us through this because I I didn't know the train well enough. I'm good at land navigation, but I wanted somebody who was skilled this train. And he was, he said, great, I'm going to be there. The day the children showed up to the spot, he was nowhere to be found. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. So, so that was uh, chaos in itself. Again, what do you do? Do you close down? I was like, okay, here's a map, here's a protractor and here's a compass. I'm going to also teach you kids how to do land navigation. This is all a part of it. Surprise. And um, it turned out so well, the camp called me and they said, this was the best camp that any of these kids have ever been on. It was amazing. They had no idea how many like fake it till you make it moments that I had to go through to, to create this, this perfect experience for them. Uh, and it went well. Again, doing it now compared to doing it when I first started, obviously, I have all the systems in place. I'm doing it all by the book of of, of my curriculum that I've built. But I didn't have any of that back then. I was just shooting from the hip. And if I didn't, if I didn't say, yes, we got it, let's put it together. If I called off that first one, they would have asked for a refund for all of them, I'm sure, because it would have been unstructured and unorganized. Like, if I didn't do the fake until I make it, I never would have made it to this point where I'm now, I just bought a multi-million dollar horse facility in San Francisco. I love it. I love that story. <laughs> and I think that's, that's entrepreneurship for you. Like in a nutshell, you just got to go for it sometimes and you got to say yes and you got to figure it out and you learn the lessons and get better along the way. It's those that hesitate and freak out and give up that aren't going to make it right. And then you just keep building on that success and those learnings for the next thing. But I can imagine that was probably pretty stressful at the time. Yeah, but it worked out. Yeah. And it's still working out for you. That's incredible. What, um, what would you say is your greatest achievement to date? What, what's the thing you're most proud of? I've built a, a beautiful, successful, uh, life for my family. Um, and my, my little daughter, she's 18 months. She's already riding horses. I've given her an opportunity to to be able to experience this beautiful world of the equestrian arts from a young age, and she's already super excited for it. And then I've given a lot of horses a second chance, and I've given a lot of veterans a second life. The reason military veterans ride for free here is uh, at one point there was a I was at the VA, and there's a veteran who who was uh, arguing with the VA about a, a ride home. I ended up giving him a ride. And he lived close to the ranch. So we had to stop by there and he asked if he could stay. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you can stay for a minute. Uh, he ended up staying all day. I gave him right at the end of the day and he asked if he can come back the next day. I was like, sure. So he came back. This was in Sacramento. And he came, started, he actually came back every day for a couple of months. And after like two months, he was like, hey, I, I was just, just want to let you know, I, I was at the point of suicide. I was going to go home. I was that day I was contemplating uh, ending it. And broke my heart but it also made me feel like wow i've i've made the change that the horses made for me i just just happened to somebody else and i went to my wife and i said this is it we're, we're veterans ride for free i don't care if you know we'll figure out how to make the money on the other aspects but military veterans if they come here there's no red tape 
because I personally never would have gone to a uh, psychologist when, or a, I wouldn't psychiatric help when I first got out of the military because I felt like weak people did that. And then looking back years and years later, I absolutely needed it. And the horses were the first piece to, to help me with that. Same thing with this guy. He was as strong as they come. You, you would never have expected this guy to be the kind of person who needed the help. And he was done. And so the horses saved him. And countless other people over the years have told me the same thing. Like we have given them a, a place to come and, and nobody asks anything of them. If you're a veteran, you show me proof of your service. You can just come and be a part of this and as much or as little as you want. And people have changed their whole identity to cowboy. And then later told me that this was the thing that saved them coming back. <laughs> and uh, I think between helping horses, giving my family a great place to give him a better life for my family and then helping the veterans. I I'm blessed about everything that I get to um, my whole uh, purpose here is, is, is fulfilled already. I feel you're moving me to tears, man. <laughs> this is deep. It really is. Then the work you do is so impacting. I just want to thank you for all the work you do and for the impact you are having in the world. And so no doubt that also translates into corporations because there's also a market that you serve. Sometimes people don't know what's going on with employees or even senior managers in a corporation. And uh, I think having an experience like this just may make everybody a little kinder at work, a little more patient, a little more understanding we opened the episode talking about how you help people understand that being gentle with a horse and giving small cues is really the way to get the best performance. Did you want to talk into that a little more about yeah. how the gentle aspect is what gets results? Some of the, the exercises we do, um, here's one. So if you come in with a team, let's say that you have a, a small team of six people. And then I put them in the arena and I put uh, a horse in the arena. And then I tell them, I, I pick their leader, wh whoever it is, and I bring them in. And the other ones are on the other side of the arena. And I let them know, you are not to speak to your team. You can only use nonverbals. And you need to get your team to help you get that horse to zigzag through the cones, come to the other side, and take two steps back, and then one step to the left. And then go back to the other side and only go through the middle cone on the way back. Like give them a complicated process of what you need to get this horse to do just with pressure. Now, before this, they've already learned several things about horse safety and how to get a horse to move. Uh, but now they're they're in the arena and they're not allowed to speak. And this guy is going to have to, to communicate with his team. Um, what a more aggressive leader would do is try to just take control of the whole situation but then the horse is going to be like if you put too much pressure on a horse the horse is going to run off if you come up to a horse soft then the horse is going to move softly so it's a lot easier to tell the team and again he's only able to tell the team he can't like mimic the zigzag he has to tell the team uh, one step at a time and he has to use the horse to to guide uh where he wants to go and put people in place i don't know if i could paint a really good picture of this because it's it's a very like hands-on experience but through this process when you're heavy handed, when you're highly aggressive with your manners and uh, mannerisms, you're not getting the horse through this process very easily. And, and those people who are aggressive seem to have a lot of struggle. But if you're soft, 
and you're clear and and you and you move smoothly uh you can get that horse to make soft clear movements and uh it seems to to get a lot more uh, with a lot less um gosh i don't even know if i'm explaining this very well it's a lot easier to explain when i have a horse in front of me <laughs> maybe <laughs> next uh podcast i'll do it in the arena <laughs> Uh, but ultimately, what I'm getting at is uh, with the horses, little gets you a lot. Um, and they almost look for the answers when you're very subtle. And if you're too heavy handed, then they're just going off the pressure. But if you're very, very soft and they're looking in, they're like, oh, what does he want me to do? And 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 now they're coming to you looking for that answer rather than um, just reacting. How How do most leaders who are aggressive or maybe have a harder time, how do they react in that type of situation? Sometimes it's a humbling thing. Um, other times, I think that especially in the world that I live in, like in San Francisco, there's a lot of uh, corporations that are larger. Um, and so it gives them a humbling experience where they get to step back and and readjust. And most of them do it quickly. I have very, very solemnly to people not want to make that change. If you're a high level uh, leader in a, in a large corporation, well, you've already proven that you know how to, you're coachable, you know how to adapt, you know how to make changes, but sometimes you just need to have a good reflection. And so coming here just gives them a different perspective and lets them think, oh, wait a minute, okay, there might be a better way or a different way. Or maybe it has them step back and be like, oh, that used to work for me. Uh, for the most part, it's a very positive experience. So, And I imagine their employees enjoy it too. They're playing with horses. so <laughs> That's pretty great. And they all get a chance to do the leadership role too. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. That's an important part of it. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Was there any point in this journey of yours with the horses that you were like, this is crazy. I'm out of my mind. I need to quit. Do you ever had that moment? I've fallen on my face several times and through just sheer tenacity pushed through. I've had large contracts that seem to be going really well and through not going through the right channel. When you're building a contract that's big and that it's uh, going to be a life-changing contract, you should definitely have several different lawyers look at it and make sure that you plug all the holes. And sometimes people will reassure you when you find a hole. And this happened to me. I, I found a hole in, in, in a contract. And I was like, hey, this, this isn't going to be right. So our, our lawyers just put that in there and you know, in reality, I should have, I should have fixed it. And, uh, and we lost a contract because of that fell on our face. And it took me in just a few weeks, actually, to get a new contract, reestablish, move everything over and redo again. Uh, I think most people would have been pretty much done after a face plant like that. Business is hard. And then the second biggest thing is when you get really good, everyone knows you're good. And so then people try to hire you. That's also a very hard thing to say no to. You have to have a lot of discipline to say no to a really good structured plan. Like if a bigger corporation than you, a bigger company says, hey, I'll hire you to run my thing and you'll get this amount of money and you don't have to worry about anything. You'll get all these benefits. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I have a, I have a little kid and my little daughter and, and a family and this would be really good. It's really hard to say no to that. Um, but you know, you're not an entrepreneur if you say yeah. What keeps you going? What keeps you going and saying no to that? What drives you know, that? For me, I, I have a chip on my shoulder. I really want to be something. I, I think that I am going to make something great out of myself. And I think that uh, I don't want to fail. And even accepting a really nice job to me just seems like a failure. And before my daughter 
It was my own ship on my shoulder. I was just like, no, nah, I'm just, I'm going to be great. And everything I do, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be the best. And I, I had that chip on my shoulder and then I had my daughter and now it's like, well, now I got to prove to her that it's all possible. Like if I can make something great out of horses, then she could do whatever she wants in this world. Like I'm, I'm fighting an uphill battle constantly. Horses are impossible. You don't make a fortune in horses unless you had a bigger fortune to lose. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Very true. What about failure? How do you process a failure? I mean, with someone with your military background, got to be some mindset in there that you can help share with the audience. Yeah, through my schooling in the military, everything that I did, no matter what the school was, it was just, I could do anything for another hour. I could do anything for another day. I can do anything for a month. And so depending on the scale of it, uh, if I'm doing something that is absolutely torturous and it's going to be done in an hour, it's like just an hour. And then I go back, I'm done. I'm just, I could do this for an hour. I could do anything for an hour. What If somebody else can do this, then I can absolutely do this for an hour. Or if it's something that's going to be take a week, it's just a week. What, what can't I do for a week? I could do anything for a week. It's easy. Uh, or a month. And so just break everything down into smaller and smaller pieces. And so if the big picture is like, this is a three months of hell. Okay. I'm not thinking about those three months of hell. What is the piece that I'm going through right now? This one's easy. I can, I can break this one down. I could be done with this one. When's the next relief to do this for this amount of time. That, that, so I break everything down into the smallest pieces I possibly can. And then it seems a lot easier. If I look at the bigger picture, it's pretty chaotic, but every little piece is pretty simple. I think for our listening audience, it's important to note that you're still really young, Zach. Um, it's still in your thirties and you've had such rich life experiences and you come with such wisdom from those experiences and for those of you who aren't watching on youtube and you're listening to zach you might not have picked up on that youthfulness <laughs> i thought i just thought it was worth noting <laughs> yeah i'm 32 years old i joined the military when i was 17 um, have been uh, in this entrepreneurship pursuit since i was 22 so uh, only 10 years, 10 years, uh, uh, tackling this. That's actually a lot of time really yeah. focusing on one great goal. So project us into the next 10 years. What does success look like for you 10 years from now? We've got some big plans. So the, the facility that we have here in San Francisco, uh, we are turning it into a tiny guest ranch in San Francisco. Oh, disclaimer, we're in Daly city, but we're a, a rock throw away from San Francisco. Like our neighboring property is San Francisco. Uh, anyway. So we're building uh, the tiny guest ranch in San Francisco is the idea. Uh, we have a food truck that we're opening up in the front. If all things go well, putting an indoor arena on the property. We have just cleared out 30 truck dumpster loads of uh, debris from the property, redid the, the barn. We're putting pods in the back so people can stay overnight. Uh, and the back has a unobstructed view of the ocean. It's beautiful. And uh, this trail rides down to the beach. So we have a five-year goal to turn this into a just five-star beautiful facility. And then along with that, we're going to build a coaching process on how to build uh, a business in the equestrian world. So this will be an online course um, that you can check out from our website, oceanviewstables.com. That one, we're about a year out before it launches. Okay. That is cool. So big, like, let's just go even bigger, like. What is, what is that big, hairy, audacious goal? Like, what's that big mission or that big number that you want to, like, 
say on your deathbed, I achieve this. This is my life mission. Like what, what is that for you? I'm just curious how much bigger. My personal aspirations, uh, talking uh, self-storage facilities, real estate, the the horse facilities, all things considered. Uh, I think that if I hit retirement age with a hundred million, I'd be okay. I like it. I might be undercutting myself there. You, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Probably, I would say 500 then because uh, this property in, in just a matter of a couple of years, is, I, I think that I'll be um, profitable at about 10 million. Let's say 500 million by, by 65 and I'll be happy. <laughs> and imagine and the impact. Yeah. Zach, when you talk about you want to be big for you and then for your daughter, is that what that is for you or is it something different? You want to oh, be think, something you said. Well, I want her to know that you, whatever you want to do in this world is, is possible with the, the right direction, the right goals, the right aspirations. I think that putting a big number out there is just setting that goal high. Um, but what the money means, is means less than like the impact. Cause again, you asked what's like the personal goal. Well, like if I, if I made that big of an impact, like that number doesn't, like, what am I going to do with that kind of money? Nothing. But that means that I've made that big of an impact in this world. Right. If I, if I'm controlling that amount of uh, assets and, and business, uh, then I'm probably doing something great here, right? Like with this business, the next, one of the things we're doing is we're partnering with a nonprofit to build an actual horse therapy program for military veterans. That'll be another big impact. And I don't know if you want to include like, what is the, the, the worth of each one of these projects at whole? If I have a big net worth, then I'm probably impacting the world positively on a big scale. So, and my daughter can see that and and know that whatever it is she wants to do with the same tenacity she could. I see the world knowing the name Zach Layden. I see the world knowing who you are and what you do and the impact that you make in this niche in the world and changing people's lives and saving people's lives. I see that very clearly in your future. And I'm not looking into a crystal ball. I'm just listening to you and seeing who you are. It's there. And I want to say like that money mindset you have is so important for people to hear, especially startup entrepreneurs, because often we're scared of the money and we don't want to talk about the money or we're afraid that we're too braggadocious about it or that it's greedy or evil. There's so many issues with money that people bring along sometimes from generations before them. And to understand the link between the money and the impact, I think takes away all of that because you're absolutely right. With that will come a tremendous amount of impact. And that's really why we're entrepreneurs, because there's something that's important to us, something we have a passion about. There's something that drives us to keep going every day. And the money is just a part of that process. And it just allows you to be able to do even more, even bigger things, inspire the next generation, your daughter, and probably loads others along the way. So thank you for saying that. I think it's really important to note and to more people to talk about and feel comfortable talking about. Yeah, it's not really the money, it's the projects. If I won the lottery and I had $100 million right now, I would be doing the same projects that I'm doing right now. I would still be trying to build these horse businesses. The project is fun. The climb to the top is fun. Once you've succeeded, it's not as fun as the ride up. Uh, and, and I keep reinventing and rebuilding because I enjoy the building part of it. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> 
can't we, Vicky? <laughs> we love the building too. We absolutely get that. So we just want to finish with one last question. We, of course, are resilient entrepreneurs, so we always have to ask something about resilience. So I'd love to ask you, how do you believe that we can, as entrepreneurs and human beings, really become resilient? What does it take? It takes time for, for something to be a general pattern, but consistency builds resilience. That grit is something that you can actually like achieve and build over time. If you don't have it, if you're in a rut, then it starts with just basic things like wake up at five in the morning every morning and put together a system to make it really annoying not to wake up and then wake up and then go to the gym and, and you know, work out and like set basic small things that anybody can do. And when you get good and consistent with those, then consistency becomes a part of your daily routine in your life, which then makes it easier for you to accomplish bigger and bigger and bigger things. When I first fell on my face the first time, which is coming out of the military and realizing that I didn't have a support team anymore, there was a, a good period of me just being the worst version of myself. And then coming out of that wasn't easy. And it took one little thing at a time that gradually turned into bigger and bigger, bigger things. Like, like I said, I started by just making sure that I woke up early and I did that for 30 days. And like, I didn't think about anything bigger. I just thought of that, woke up early and then go to the ranch, wake up early and go to the ranch. Um, and it was like three months of me just having small goals before that, I, I made a big goal. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to find somebody who's doing this business thing that I want to do. Actually, this was a clear thing that I want to make myself uncomfortable for 30 days. It was one that I, I put in there. And so I called, I, I would start with little things like, like just say random things to people that made me feel uncomfortable, probably like five or 10 days of just doing something really uncomfortable every day before I got the guts to start calling these ranches and saying, Hey, I'm going to come work for you for free. And I did that first a week or two before finally someone gave me the opportunity to show up. Uh, and then I showed up. And then I was like, okay, now I got the opportunity. Now I got to, to be bigger and better than everybody else in this. And so it turned from one little tiny thing into my whole life revolved around me doing a little bit more, being a little more uncomfortable. And I now run into uncomfortability, like with excitement. So now that's 10 years in the making, going from not wanting uncomfortability at all to running into it with excitement. Yeah, the, the steps in between are, are really important to note that it does take time. And resilience is like a muscle, you can build it. And that's exactly what I'm hearing you say. It's like, you've just built that resilient muscle by just doing the hard things, keeping the consistency, adding some discipline, pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. I believe there's no like out of the comfort zone, it's just like stretching that comfort zone, like an elastic band, it just kind of keeps going. It never snaps back, it just keeps stretching. And then once that starts to feel comfortable, you can just take on the next thing, take on the next thing. And then the next thing that seems crazy. And if you look back five years, yourself then would not believe you're doing what you're doing today because it's just, no way you would have conceived it, but it's just by that little bit every day, every day, consistently building. Zach, I love everything you've shared. I think this conversation will have impact along with everything else that you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us. This has just been wonderful. It's brought back lovely memories for me. I miss my horse, Bobby, so much. He was lovely and a huge part of my growing up years. And Vicky didn't even know about it till today that I used to ride horses, that I own my own horse and I'd do it all again if I could. But thank yeah. you so much for everything. Come to San you Francisco did. and ride a horse down to the beach. You have no idea how much I want to do that. Actually, I might have to go visit Vicky in Australia, so I'll just pop over there on my way. 
Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to meet in San Francisco. You're not doing this on your own, lady. We'll do an event here, and you guys can go through the leadership through horsemanship. And we'll do another podcast talking about your experience. Thank you very, very much. We really appreciate your time and everything that you shared today. Take care.